Good morning and welcome. We're here this morning to hear argument in the case of Jason and Sarah Morehouse Appellants versus Ducks North LLC. It's a civil transfer case. Transfer has been granted. Representing the appellants at council table, we have Alexander Trueblood. Good morning, Mr. Trueblood, and Christopher Drury. Good morning, Mr. Drury. Representing the appellees, the appellants, we have Zachary Yoder. Good morning, Mr. Yoder. As we have been conducting oral arguments, each party will have roughly about two minutes before we may start asking questions. Council, are you ready to proceed? Thank you. I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. Madam Chief Justice, may it please the court, the central question before this court is the nature and meaning of implied easements. We ask the court to affirm what has been the law in Indiana for more than 160 years that an implied easement of necessity is a remedy exclusively reserved for landlocked properties and requires absolute necessity. More than 160 years ago, this court in Anderson v. Buchanan held that necessity, not convenience, is the foundation for an easement of necessity and explained that such a way of necessity arises when an individual conveys land that is wholly surrounded by the individual's remaining property. Since Anderson, Indiana courts, in near unanimity, have limited the application of easement by necessity to landlocked parcels and never over the land of a stranger. Nowhere in Anderson or its progeny does this court find an easement of necessity where a parcel is not landlocked or where the parcel has access to a public way. Ducks North points to a single case, Shandy v. Bell, in an attempt to undo more than a century and a half of settled law on the doctrine of easement of necessity. The court in Shandy was not asked to determine whether an easement of necessity existed. Rather, Shandy concerned an easement by prior use, a similar but distinct doctrine. Nonetheless, the Shandy court, albeit in dicta, stated that strict or absolute necessity requirement within the context of an easement of necessity was too broad, preferring a reasonable necessity standard instead. Despite the Shandy Court's statements concerning easements of necessity, Shandy stands in isolation. Since the 1934 decision, this Court has not once relied on Shandy when discussing or defining easements of necessity. In fact, Shandy, in fact uh, since Shandy, the case most cited by this Court in discussing easements of necessity is Ritchie v. Welsh, which held that an easement of necessity would only arise if the grantor had no other means of accessing his property except by crossing over the part conveyed. Ritchie leaves no room for reasonable necessity. Likewise, this court should reaffirm the standard in Ritchie and require absolute necessity before an easement of necessity can, uh, can arise. Finally, as it relates to Ducks North's claim of easement by prior use, we would ask the court to affirm the Court of Appeals decision uh, and, and find that there was uh, <clears throat> factual disputes with respect to the easement by prior use. I ask you I about that factual to... dispute, Council. Good morning. Um, in, in, in preparation, I, I'm under the impression that everybody agrees that this access road in question was in existence in 1985. Correct. And I read the Court of Appeals opinion to find uh, at least dispositive of what they ended up doing, sending it back, finding that there's a an issue as to whether or not that access was used in April of 19, 
Can you help me explain it? Why? I think this was the only access road um, from 1985 to 1991. Why is it necessary? Why doesn't it follow that that was that was in use uh, in April of 1991? Sure, sure, Your Honor. So with it, with an easement by prior use, you have to have a access road that is obviously permanent, uh, that is obviously permanent and obvious, and that it has to be in use at the time. And, and so what we look to is a time of severance. So was the access road in use? Was it obviously permit, permanent and continuous at the time of severance in April of 1991? What the Court of Appeals said is they said that, well, it was, it was obvious, um, but, there was, but Ducks North did not designate facts showing that, that it was in use at the time of severance. And, and the important thing we look at is at that time of severance. Was the access road in use? And that, that would be a separate element to prove um, in, in easement by prior use. If it wasn't in use at the time, then it looks more like a temporary uh, easement that would, that would be convenient to the grantor. Counsel, in, in your opening presentation, you spoke of um, easements uh, by convenience and easements uh, of necessity, but isn't the question one of reasonable necessity versus absolute necessity? Yes, it is, Your Honor. I mean, it's, it's, the, the question is one of necessity, not convenience. Correct. It, it, uh, the, the courts, this court has stated that it has to be more than convenient. Um, so, so, so tell me why our 1934 precedent doesn't uh, lead to the, uh, the conclusion that the test is one of reasonable necessity rather than absolute necessity. Well, because I don't think it, I don't think it stands, um, I don't think it aligns with, with the, the previous years and the previous line of cases. Um, and, and in fact, doesn't, doesn't really cite back to the cases that dealt specifically with easements of necessity. Shandy dealt with an easement by prior use. Um, it did not deal with an easement by necessity. Uh, in, in Ritchie, uh, it, it, the court, this court explicitly says that one selling a portion of his land shall have a legal right of access over that part sold to the remainder if he cannot reach it in any other way. Moreover, uh, in Shandy itself, this court says, for if the owner of land can use another way, he cannot claim by implication the right to pass over that of another to get to his own, uh, which, which indicates uh, an absolute or strict necessity. If we adopt the reasonable necessity standard, do you lose this case? I don't think necessarily. Do you disagree? You haven't challenged the summary judgment portion that found that it's undisputed that there's impassable terrain that precluded any reasonable means of accessing the southern tract and the public road to which its southern end connected, correct? We, no, we have not, Your Honor. So under, with that undisputed evidence, you, you would lose then if we apply a reasonable necessity standard? If, if you apply it and, and there's nothing that we've put on to dispute that fact, then I suppose, yes, we would lose. Are you, are you familiar with the restatement treatment for uh, easements of necessity? I am not, Your Honor. Going back to Justice Goff's question, if the evidence, and again, we're looking at it at summary judgment stage, that the access road had been in use from 1985 to 2012, why isn't it, why aren't we able to assume, the trial court will assume it wasn't used in April 2nd, which was in the middle of that, and was there any evidence that was submitted to contradict that 
once that was put out there to negate that, that, it, that assumption. The testimony of Morehouse's counsel was that it was been in use from 1985 to 2018, correct? Yes, Your Honor. All right, so that's a fact in this, um, the court considers in summary judgment, and there's nothing that negated that. Well, uh, I'd say at the summary judgment say we take, we take all facts and all factual disputes in favor of the non-moving party. Right, but there's no dispute there. There's not a dispute because the only evidence is that it's been in use since 1985. Where was this something? So if you're taking in favor of, you've got to, that's the only evidence in there. Well, the evidence uh, before, before the court was that from 1991 until, uh, until 2018, the marshals freely allowed, uh, freely allowed ducks and its predecessors at interest to use the property. Um, and, and what we said was, uh, well, it, it depends what 1991 means. Does it mean um, from April 2nd? 1991 or does it mean the entire year or does it mean sometime after that so <clears throat> we can't presume that from 1991 onward uh, that the property was in use because that that statement is too broad as the court of appeals said that's too broad yeah and when i look at when I look how other states are handling um implied easements would it be would it be better in Indiana to have one definition of implied easements, whether it's by prior use or um, by necessity? Well, I don't think it would, Your Honor. Um, I think there's a connection between, with, when talking about easements uh, implied by prior use, I think there is a connection between that first part, those first couple elements, and the reasonable use. And, and, and that shows up in the, in the John Hancock uh, case, um, in which the more permanent uh, and the more obvious the easement is, um, I think there's a connection between the reasonable necessity standard. And, and in, in, Han in John Hancock, it talks about the degree of necessity is dependent upon that, th those facts of how permanent and how obvious it is. Um, and and the, the purpose of that is looking toward the intent of the party. So, so where we have a, we have a drive that is, that, that, that is permanent or obviously permanent and in use at the time, um, it would not be reasonable even if the uh, adjacent landowner has another way of accessing his property to make him access his property that way. The easement of necessity is, is, a, different, uh, is a different type of thing in that we don't presume that there's any access. We don't presume that there's, there's a drive there. We don't presume that there's a way to get there. And so, if the, uh, if the grantor or grantee, in whichever case it may be, the person who's trying to get the easement, um, if they have no way of accessing it, then we, that we assume or presume that the parties would have wanted there to be an easement. If there was a way, then it would be hard to presume that the parties uh, wanted there to be a way over, over the, the adjoining property. Meaning, if, if, there's, if there's some possibility that the, that the uh, the person could get to that property, we don't want to presume too much and presume that the parties had not discussed that or thought about it. Counsel, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, but I'm hung up on what the Chief Justice was asking about and Justice Goff earlier as well, so I want to come at this from a slightly different angle. I, I completely understand your point about what, what inferences we draw at the summary judgment stage and how we draw those inferences in favor of the non-movement. But is it, I'm wondering if 
even with all of that, if this would be harmless air. In other words, are, are, are you actually contesting the point? Are, are, is it your position that the use was different in February of 1991 than it was in May of 1991, for example? Our, our point is we don't know what the use was in February of 1991. Your, your clients don't, don't, don't know. Correct. We don't, we don't know. Discovery still ongoing. There are people you have to depose. Right, right. We don't know what the use looked like in, in February of 1991. We don't know what the use looked like in uh, February of 1990. And, and in fact, we don't but know. But it's what undisputed it what it was like later in 1991, right? It's undisputed that sometime in 1991. Well, it, was, it was undisputed that, that uh, they were freely allowed access uh, to use that, that road, that access road, it, after uh, April 2nd of 1991. We don't know what the access road even looked like. Meaning, but your client doesn't take the position that it was different in February than it was in May. That's, that's not something you would be arguing at trial. At this point, no. We don't, we don't know what it looked like in February of 1991. The record that we could look to that would suggest there was any other access besides the road? In, so in the deeds, uh, in the granting deeds from, uh, it would be from the Marshalls, or excuse me, it would be from New Shorewood, which was the successor and in interest of the Shorewood Corporation, to Ducks, Inc., uh, which would be the predecessor in interest of Ducks. It did speak of a campground. So if you look in the legal description of that deed, it, it speaks about a campground. Um, and what we know is that Sherwood owned a large southern tract um, of property. And, and uh, based on that, it looked like there was some kind of campground somewhere south of what, where the Ducks took. Uh, just, just a couple final points. Um, with respect to easement of necessity, um, <clears throat> it, it is a, an extreme remedy because we are uh, depriving one party of a property right and we are also um, giving to another party uh, an additional property right. Additionally, the, the reasonable necessity standard um, is, is more difficult to... Uh, it's more difficult to adjudicate than a strict necessity standard. Um, with respect to strict necessity, it is, uh, it is pretty bright line, pretty black and white. Either uh, the property is landlocked and has no access, or it's not. If, if we move to a reasonable necessity standard with these landlocked properties, um, we get into an additional litigation, likely, uh, with, with what, in this case, what is, again, what is a reasonable necessity? <clears throat> And lastly, because of that, and because a reason, uh, excuse me, a, a easement of necessity does not presume that there's an access way, and an easement by prior use does, I, I believe that the reasonable necessity standard is too low of a standard, uh, is too low of a standard for an easement of necessity, meaning there has to be more. And, and again, in Shandy, they talk about that. Um, now, albeit they're talking about a reasonable necessity standard, but they do say if the owner of a land can use another way, but he cannot claim by implication the right to pass over that of another to get to his own property. So in that, we, we know that if we're dealing with easements of necessity, it, it should be a higher standard. The burden should be tough. Well, the, the standard should be tougher for somebody to get an easement of necessity. If Your Honor, I, I, I'll uh, reserve the rest of my time. All right. Thank you, Mr. Yoder. We'll hear thank from you. you again on rebuttal. Mr. Trueblood. 
morning, and may it please the court. This court's 1934 opinion in Shandy versus Bell expressly rejected and abrogated an earlier rule that would have required uh, strict necessity to establish an implied easement. Uh, instead, the Shandy court held that an implied easement, which it referred to as a way of reasonable necessity, could be established simply by a showing of reasonable necessity. Uh, the Shandy court went on to expressly define reasonable necessity as something more than beneficial or convenient. And it did clarify that reasonable necessity does not exist where the owner of the land can use another way to reach that land. Uh, the, this reasonable necessity standard was consistently applied by Indiana courts and remained unquestioned for more than 70 years until 2007 when the Indiana Court of Appeals in Pardue versus Smith abruptly and without any explanation whatsoever held that easements by necessity can only be established by demonstrating absolute necessity. Uh, now this Pardue case, in reaching that conclusion, cited Wolf versus Gregory, a 2003 case from the Indiana Court of Appeals, uh, specifically a portion that said an easement, by, uh, an easement of necessity will be implied when there has been a severance of the unity of ownership of tract of land in such a way as to leave one part without access to a public road. The Pardue court then took that quote, added the words only and any, so that it then said an easement of necessity will be implied only when there has been a severance of the unity of ownership of attractive land in such a way as to leave one part without any access to a public road. And it emphasized the words only and any, which had never appeared in the case law before that. Uh, based on those two words only and any, apparently, the Pardue court held that an easement by necessity is separate and distinct from an easement by prior use and is subject to a higher standard of necessity. Uh, now, interestingly, I'm going to ask you, you the same question that I that I asked. Yes, of course, Mr. Yoder. Do you think there should be one test instead of two tests? If there's an implied, two different tests, if there's an implied easement, and, uh, and well, why do you think there should be? Well, Your Honor, in terms of the degree of necessity, yes, there there should be just one test. It should be a, a reasonable necessity that's required. Now, historically, looking back, to I'm the, saying prior use and looking at different tests for if it's an if it's an easement by prior use or an easement by necessity. Should there be one test? Uh, well, Your Honor, the, the best I can tell, and the, the case law doesn't really explain why there's a distinction between the two different kinds of an implied easement, but the best I can tell is that the, the only real practical distinction is that an easement by prior use establishes the precise location and scope of the easement, whereas an easement by necessity uh, simply establishes the right to an easement and leaves it to uh, either the parties so or the court. What would the different evidence be that you would put in to show, if you're saying, because you, you want the same, you want the reasonable, reasonableness on both as opposed to absolute on the, on the necessity, what would the evidence look like? Well, how would the evidence be different to prove one or the other? Well, Your Honor, in, in, it would look exactly like this case, uh, where we have shown that the, while there was a strictly legal uh, right to pass across the, su the southern parcels to reach a public road, there was no reasonable, practical, or even possible means to, to, to do so. And, and that was uh, held, to be a, um, held to be established as a matter of law by the trial court on summary judgment. Um, in terms why, is, of the, why is that a legal question, not a fact question? Well, Your Honor, generally it is a fact question, but the trial court held that because the facts were undisputed, there was no genuine issue of material fact and they could enter summary judgment as a matter of law. Now, importantly, the, the 
standard for reasonable necessity that Shandy used to express and expressly defined as reasonable necessity uh, being something more than convenient or beneficial. Uh, and if the owner of land can use another way, he cannot claim by implication the right to pass over that of another to get to his own. That exact standard is, uh, is used in Wolf versus Gregory uh, to demonstrate that the easement is of necessity, a plaintiff must demonstrate more than that the easement would be beneficial or convenient, exactly like Shandy said. If the plaintiff has another means of accessing his land, he may not claim a right to pass over the land of another. Once again, exactly like Shandy. That's quoting Cockrell versus Hawkins, a 2002 Indiana Court of Appeals case. Uh, now, an additional interesting point is that after Pardue, after Pardue said that the standard should be absolute necessity for an easement by necessity, uh, two, future, two later cases from the Indiana Court of Appeals uh, used that exact same standard, quoting Cockrell. And this is the standard that's drawn directly from the Shandy Court's definition of reasonable necessity. Um, the the first such case is William C. Hack Trust versus Willis, a, two, uh, a 2011 uh, Court of Appeals case that directly cites Pardue's rule that an easement by necessity requires absolute necessity, and yet still applies the Shandy Court's definition of reasonable necessity to de determine whether there was an implied easement by necessity in that case. So even since Pardue, the Shandy Court's definition of reasonable necessity has been the applicable uh, definition that Indiana courts have, have used to determine whether an easement by necessity exists. So regardless of what Pardue has, uh, has, has said without giving any explanation, uh, reasonable necessity has always been the standard in Indiana for easements by necessity. Counsel, the argument seems to be between reasonable necessity and absolute necessity. Which is the better policy? Uh, Your Honor, reasonable necessity and uh, why? is the only reasonable policy here. Uh, there are two important policy concerns that underlie the doctrine of implied easements, both in Indiana and, other, and in other jurisdictions throughout the country. Uh, the first of these uh, policy concerns is one that the Shandy Court expressly recognized, which is that easements, implied easements are meant to give effect, to recognize and give effect to the actual intent of the parties to a transfer of real property. Uh, the Shandy Court quotes a, an 1842 Connecticut Supreme Court opinion saying, for the law will not presume that it was the intention of the parties that one should convey land to the other in such a manner that the grantee could derive no benefit from the conveyance, uh, which is a, an unquestionably reasonable policy. There is no reason that anyone should presume that two parties to the sale of real property should intend that the buyer of that real property would have no ability to access the property and that by the, the simple conveyance of that property, it would become inherently worthless to the buyer. Uh, that is a factual scenario which the law has deemed so patently absurd that unless there is some express, uh, very clear language in the granting instrument, the law will presume that that was not the intent of the parties. So the first such policy concern is the intent of the parties. The second one is the economic uh, efficiency of a land transfer, where in a case like this, a parcel of real property is transferred in a manner in which there was technically a legal right to pass through uh, an extremely difficult, impassable terrain, uh, more than a quarter mile of old growth forest along the side of a 30-foot ravine um, to reach the nearest public road. There was no practical means to do so. By all 
for all practical purposes, to hold a, an absolute necessity standard here would, to be, would be to render the property owned by Ducks North LLC entirely worthless and to create a waste in, in the real property that would be rendered useless for any, any party other than, uh, incidentally, the more houses who have that right to use that access road, if they were to uh, attempt to purchase the property, you know, they, they could use that access road to access it. So it would put the, uh, the owner of the property, the purchaser of the property, at a, an extreme disadvantage to hold them to that standard. Um, and it would also create extreme economic inefficiency. There, there is really no, um, no benefit to implying, uh, imposing that strict necessity standard. Um, what does that higher standard mean in this case? Well, that's, that's an excellent question, Your Honor. Um, in this case, the higher standard would mean that there is no, uh, well, it, it depends on how you define this, the, the standard. Um, is, is that itself unclear, what, what um, absolute necessity means, either in this case in particular or in the abstract? Your Honor, there have been, if you look to other uh, jurisdictions, there have been different jurisdictions that define strict or absolute necessity differently. Some of them hold that that means there can be no legal right to, to it can only exist if there's no legal right to use any other means to access the property. Others have held that strict necessity is the standard. Uh, for example, Montana uh, adopted a rule that requires strict necessity in these cases, but indicated that strict necessity is established where there is proof that there is no practical means of ingress and egress exactly what we have in this case. So uh, by certain standards... Isn't that a fact, factual question? Because there was some, wasn't there some, te some testimony that there was some linkage from track three down to the southern track? And why wouldn't that no practical wager? Well, it, would, it was too hard to do it. Isn't that a jury question? Uh, certainly in most cases it would be a jury question, Your Honor. But in this case there was uh, no dispute of fact on that. The Morehouses have never at any stage of these proceedings argued that there was any reasonable means of access. Uh, the trial court held that there was no genuine issue of material fact on that question and thus entered summary judgment as a matter of law because the facts there were undisputed. Um, there, there is no question that this property is for all practical and reasonable purposes inaccessible by any means other than the access road. Going back to the different standard, the reasonable versus absolute necessity standard, I, I thought I heard you say that even under a strict uh, absolute necessity standard, you might win depending on what that means. If we borrow the Montana standard, um, you prevail under that standard? Do I? That's correct, Your Honor, uh, because we have demonstrated that there is no practical means of ingress or egress to this property other than by use of the access road. Uh, and that has been established as a matter of law by the trial court on summary judgment because there was no genuine issue of material fact. Uh, there is an issue of fact as to what the, the width of the easement. Is, isn't that correct? Um, Your Honor, the trial court defined the width of the easement using uh, a 20-foot, uh, 10 feet at from least, the At least 20 feet, right? Ten, uh, not less than 10 feet on either side of the median. Uh, that, that, that's correct, Your Honor. Um, and that's based on the, uh, the, the standard width of a, a road in Indiana. Um, but if, if but that's not the, but that's that, that's irrelevant to the, the the size of the easement here, right? What may be the standard width of a road in Mary, in Hamilton County or anywhere else? I mean, that's that's not the question before us, is it? In other words, is there anything in the record that establishes that at least 20 feet is the proper width on this record? 
Your Honor, I don't believe there's anything in the record that expressly establishes that. So at a minimum, that goes back for a factual determination, right? It, it certainly could. Um, and there is a, um, you know, there is there are certain cases from the Indiana Court of Appeals. I, I know there was one that held that a 60-foot uh, wide easement was too wide, uh, and there are other cases that have held um, that smaller easements are an appropriate width. If if the if that remains an issue to be remanded to the trial court, that certainly uh, we, we certainly understand that. Um, does some of that turn on which type of easement we're talking about? I think I understood you earlier to say that if it's an implied easement of use, then the width is going to be defined by what the historical practice was. But if it's uh, easement of necessity, it may be different. Am I, am I tracking you correctly there? Uh, generally speaking, yes, that would be correct. Uh, I would uh, expect that in this case that would not, in fact, be the case because, um, you know, there's not a lot of case law explaining how uh, the scope and, and uh, extent of easements are defined, but looking back to the uh, the 18, uh, 1898 case, Ritchie v. Welsh, uh, they, they do indicate that where the parties have subsequently reached an agreement on how that access is to be uh, established, that that subsequently agreed uh, route of access can be used by the court to define the easement. In this case, there is no question that from 1991 through 2018, the owners of the two uh, parcels of property agreed that the access road would serve as the means of accessing. And so does that also mean it doesn't make a difference at all to you whether you prevail on the implied use easement as you did in the trial court or alternatively the implied easement of necessity? It just doesn't make a difference? That's correct, Your Honor, for all practical purposes. Probably my question. I just want to clarify. I think that you ended up uh, with the reversal in the Court of Appeals over that that one issue, right? About when in 1990 was in use, and if the trial court found that there's no no issue there, uh, it, it's undisputed. You, you win, right? Uh, have to get into all of this and worry about the Shandy standard or not? That's correct, Your Honor. I have a question that's not that's beyond the scope of this case, but what, what's, what's the law of easements if the, the access road, if the easement gets washed away because of some act of God, then, then what? Is the, 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 uh, the dominant estate simply out of luck, or what, what, what happens? Uh, that, that's an interesting question, Your Honor. Um, and in fact, the, the Dudgeon versus Bronson case that the Shandy court overturned dealt with a somewhat similar issue um, where a, an easement, uh, an, an access path had, had become somewhat uh, deteriorated, deteriorated over time, uh, and the party owning the, the, the dominant parcel there uh, sought to obtain a new easement by necessity. The, the, the Dudgeon Court rejected that claim. The, the Shandy Court did abrogate and overturn Dudgeon. So it's not clear exactly what would happen in that case. Shandy didn't address that specific factual scenario, so it, it's not clear what happens in the, in the absence of uh, the ruling from the Dudgeon case. I'll ask you a little more about that, Mr. Trueblood. If we were to go into determining what's reasonable necessity, you know, if, and, and look at Shandy for guidance, that's Depression-era Gibson County, Indiana, and there's a, a widow who is found to not have 
a reasonable necessity. You've got to spend $1,000, I think is what the facts are, to get your <coughs> separate driveway up there. That seems to me to be really, really difficult to show. Uh, why isn't it kind of the same thing? I mean, what, what, what would be the difference? I mean, is, is, do you have to have Mount Everest there? I mean, what, what do we do? How do we parse through what reasonable necessity should be if that kind of expense nearly 100 years ago by somebody I assume was probably pretty modest means was not found to have a reasonable necessity? Certainly, Your Honor. The, there, it does uh, open, open the case to some questions of fact, and, and that's, uh, that's something that other jurisdictions have addressed much more so than Indiana. Indiana's definition has always just been it must be more than just beneficial or convenient, uh, but somewhere less than absolutely necessary. Um, and it's been a pretty wide spectrum there as to what that can, what that can include. Uh, other, other jurisdictions have said sometimes um, it can be uh, a lack of any practical means of ingress or egress. It can be, um, it can be a case where there is a clearly unreasonable expense that would be necessary to provide ingress and egress. Uh, it can be a case where the, there, there are some, some cases where they uh, hold that if the expense of providing ingress and egress is greater than the value of the property itself, that that's enough to establish it. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways that it can be defined. And um, you know, while, while sometimes that will require a, a factual determination, I think that is the more just outcome because ultimately the most important uh, part of, a, an easement, of an implied easement to begin with is to ensure that the property is not rendered worthless and that the parties are able to have their actual intent recognized and, and put into effect. Uh, and, and once again, it, it would be patently absurd to assume that any party agreed to purchase a parcel of real property with no reasonable or practical means to access it. So that is, that is the purpose of an implied easement, and, and whatever the standard needs to be to effectuate that purpose, um, you know, whatever the standard of reasonable necessity needs to be to effectuate that purpose, uh, there, there's a lot of leeway for the courts to, to define that in a lot of different ways that courts throughout the country have defined it. Um, there was a question earlier about the restatement. Um, the restatement third of property and servitude, section 2.15, Comment D discusses the degree of necessity required, and it says necessary rights are not limited to those essential to the enjoyment of property, but include those which are reasonably required to make effective use of the property. If the property cannot otherwise be used without disproportionate effort or expense, the rights are necessary within the meaning of this section. And it states that a transfer of real property uh, is presumed to be made uh, along with a transfer of all those rights necessary to reasonably enjoy that property. Do you know how broadly that comment's been adopted in jurisdictions? Um, it's, an, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure how many jurisdictions have express, expressly adopted that comment, but this comment does cite to uh, a number of jurisdictions throughout the country that have, uh, it bases that comment on a number of jurisdictions throughout this country that have adopted a similar or substantially uh, identical standard to that. Um, I'm not sure how many have expressly adopted it with reference to the restatement itself. Um. Question, Mr. Trueblood. If um, Mr. Yoder's clients, when they acquired those parcels, wanted to um, um, 
divest your clients of access to that road? What, what if anything, did they need to have done with the, the sellers of that property? Would they need to deal with you too? Does this easement run with the land and therefore um, they're, they're stuck with whatever um, rights they inherited, including the obligations when they acquired that property? Uh, your Honor, I see my time is up. I, uh, you, can, I, you can answer it. Okay. Uh, your Honor, the, the initial seller has the right to expressly state in the, in the deed that the sale is being made with no right of access, with no um, with a recognition that there is no reasonable means of access other than uh, crossing over these lands. And if the parties wish that to be the arrangement that they want to enter into, they have the right to, to expressly state that in the deed. But the law will, absent any such express statement in the deed, presume that that was not the intention of the parties. My final question, and that is, how does your client pronounce its name? <laughs> Ducks North, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, counsel. Mr. Yoder, rebuttal. With respect to the Dudgeon case uh, that Shandy <clears throat> um, seems to overrule, I, I just do want to point out that uh, Dudgeon wasn't an explicitly easement of necessity case. It was a it was a, a a case in which an easement of necessity had already been established, and uh, the court was asked whether that easement of necessity could be moved without the consent of the other party. Um, with respect to an easement of necessity, I believe the most cited case that we have um, is the Ritchie v. Welsh case, um, which Shandy does not overrule, and, and which says that, uh, that an easement of necessity will only arise if the uh, adjacent property owner cannot reach his property in any other way. With respect to some of the more recent uh, Court of Appeals decisions that don't explicitly uh, call for an easement or an absolute necessity. Do you believe that there was designated evidence that there was another potential way for them to access there? Yes, Your Honor. It would have been through the Southern Tract. And, and, and in, in, uh, in our summary judgment, in the Morehouse's summary judgment, we did, we did cite to and we did point out evidence that, that it that the ducks could access their property through the southern tract, which was also owned by Shorewood at the so time. So you believe that's, that should go back to a, a um, fact finder? Well, I don't, think the, I don't think ducks disputes that there was access through the southern tract. I don't think they dispute that they could have accessed the property through the southern tract. I think... But the standard is not just if you could access, to what level of... Um, is it disproportionate what you have to do to be able to get that access? would be the correct test. It, I, I believe How onerous is it for the landlocked property to be able to forge a track or make a new track? Correct, yeah. The landlocked, the landlocked property owner would have to have access to that track. Correct. Again, you concede that the southern tract was impassable terrain. I, Your Honor, I don't concede that the, 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 the southern tract was impassable. It may not have been convenient. It, it may not have been... Uh, just plainly beneficial, but but I think you also have to look at what what the ducks track was used for. Um, in in Elliot, excuse me, the town of Elliotsville versus Desperito, this court um, said that an easement is essential. Easement is a necessity is essential to the reasonable use of a nearby property. So uh, looking at the ducks track, the ducks track was a was a water or was a uh, preserve. 
it, it, it wasn't like um, we're going to build homes back there. It, it, it was nothing more than a preserve. And I believe in the <clears throat> in the deed uh, from from New Sherwood to Ducks. Uh, it provides that this is a wetland preserve to be maintained in its natural condition and provide a habitat for wetland plants and animals. And so again, that's not that's not dispositive to show that uh, to show that that's what it was used at at the time from the marshals to to Sherwood. But I think there is um, I think there is something there to say that th this wasn't uh, this wasn't property to be developed. This wasn't property. Uh, this was a wetland preserve to to protect natural plants and animals and so what is the reasonable use of a wetland preserve and, and what access do we need in order to get to that wetland preserve council i asked your opposing council what what policy um uh interests uh, undergird the idea of a reasonable necessity test rather than absolute um in in your judgment what policy concerns support an absolutist view so I, I believe the, the the number one policy concern is uh, a clear a clear test, a bright line test to be able to determine um, whether an easement of necessity is is necessary or it's not necessary. Uh, with reasonable re, with reasonableness, I think I think you get into more uh, it, it becomes more difficult to adjudicate in my opinion. And again, I think the other policy implication is that if we're saying that it's, it's a necessity implied, or excuse me, it's a easement implied by necessity rather than implied by pre-existing use, then that standard needs to be higher because it could have been that the parties uh, intended there not to be, uh, the, the parties intended that a way of a way, a way or easement wasn't going to go over that adjoining party. Don't we build reasonableness assessments into the law virtually everywhere? And your honor, my time's up. You can answer. I, I believe we do, and and I believe even looking back at the at the Shandy v. Bell standard, um, that reasonable necessity standard does state that uh, if there is another way, that that party has to use the other way. So I would submit that even in that test, there is that, that sense of absolute necessity. And, and, and that is all. Council, we appreciate your briefing, your argument today. We will be discussing the case and issuing an opinion in due course. That concludes the oral argument. Thank you very much. All right.